0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. You know, a few years ago, I, uh, it used to be common for me to begin the morning early in the morning. I would uh, first thing I'd do is I'd go make coffee. So I have to do. I make make the coffee real early, and then I would, uh, while it was perking, I would walk out the door, and I'd walk to the end of my driveway, and I would pick up my daily Kansas City Star. Uh, now I do all that electronically, but that's what I was doing during those days. And, I remember one of those mornings, uh, it was during Christmas time and uh, the thought occurred to me that morning as I was picking up my newspaper, if I'd been in Bethlehem, if I'd been living there that very first Christmas when Jesus was born, what might the headline read on the front page of the Bethlehem Star? It was too good. I knew it wasn't for me, the thought, the Bethlehem style, all of that just made sense to me at that moment. And uh, I thought, you know, if they had uh, investigative reporters back then, like we do today, um, you know, and if uh, someone had maybe run into one of the shepherds or if someone had noticed the star in the sky just thought to myself, you know, there's a fair chance that the front page headline that very first Christmas might read something like this. Virgin gives birth. And below the fold, you know, another great headline. Angels announce baby's birth. You know, it's not, not some guy walking out of a, a room with a cigar for everybody. It's like angels proclaiming his birth. And, and as I was reflecting on it then and have reflected on it for you know, many, many, many years. To say that Jesus' birth was miraculous is truly an understatement. I mean, the, think of the weeks of this series. You know, we've talked about Isaac, whose birth was miraculous, born to a father who was hundred years old and a mother who was ninety years old. That was that was miraculous. And and John the Baptist's birth to Zechariah and Elizabeth who uh, you know, could not have children and they also were in the old days. These were miraculous births and again announced by an angel no less. And, but to look at Jesus and what took place with him, it just takes miraculous to a whole new level. Literally the world has never been the same ever since that time, that night when he was born. Our very calendars are divided by virtue of his arrival on the planet. We, we reckon time 2018, because we're plus or minus a couple, uh, you know, that's the 2018 years removed from when he was born. This is, I mean, this is miraculous on a a colossal scale. Well, this morning what I want to do is help you appreciate what I think has become familiar to many of us. I want to help you appreciate the miraculous, the most miraculous birth in all of history, the birth of Jesus, because every one of us needs to have it clear in our minds this time of year, but really all of our lives. We need to be really clear who it was that was born that night and why he came. You need to know that for your own sake. You and I need to know that for the benefit of people who are around us, who we'll come in contact with this week as we're sitting around Christmas dinner tables or New Year's gatherings. We, we need to have all of this fresh in our minds. And so for the next few minutes, I just wanna walk you through this, who it was that was born that first Christmas and why he came and what that has to do with you and me. And I think it'll be pretty clear by the time we get to the end. You know, if you and I had lived back in ancient Bethlehem, the miraculous birth of Jesus would have been welcome news to us. It would have been something we'd have loved to have read in a headline of a newspaper. Because the prophecies about him were astonishing. More than 600 years before that first Christmas, God told us through the biblical prophet Isaiah that a day would come when he would finally send help to assist you and me with our problem of sin and to assist our world with its problem with leadership that's corrupt and self-promoting. God's known that this has been the nature of leadership since the earliest of times, biblically speaking. So he's finally gonna do something about that. It was on his radar, and the prophet says this in Isaiah seven fourteen: the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, and the name Emmanuel means, which means God is with us. What God was saying in these verses is that I'm going to begin to restore things to the way they were in the garden. When in the cool of the day, he would walk through the garden with Adam and Eve, personally. He's saying, I'm going to walk with you through life, Emmanuel, which means God with us. A little after that, in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and following, the prophet Isaiah, God tells us through the prophet, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It goes on and explains that his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. He's just saying that the, the nature of this king will be an everlasting kingdom. He's not going to be self-serving. He's going to be oriented toward ruling with fairness and justice. And. Isaiah gives us more detail in chapter 11, verses 2 and following, where it says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, the prophet says. With one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And then a couple of verses later sort of summarizes this. It just says, in that day, the heir to David's throne, notice what it says, will be a banner of salvation to all the world. All the world. In those passages, God was just announcing to Israel and the world that a special child was coming. A special child would be born to a virgin. He'd be a rule over a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace. And his kingdom would be everlasting and he would bring salvation, not just to Israel, but to all the world, everyone. Now, with that pedigree, where would you expect a child of nobility and destiny like that? to be born. I'll tell you where I would have expected him to be born. In one of the luxury birthing suites of Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan, New York. This is where I would have expected him to be born. Someplace like this. I mean the rooms here in this hospital, you know, they, uh, they have stunning views of Central Park and uh, Manhattan. Each room is adorned with hardwood floors, Italian glass tiles in the bathroom, luxurious linens everywhere. I mean, they're thick blankets. I mean, if I'm, if I'm an everlasting king, I, want, I don't want these, like, cotton blankets with, like, two little yarns woven together. Give me a thick blanket, a thick cotton blanket from the finest cotton in the world. This is what I want, right? This is how we think. I mean, rooms in this place. Get this. Come With personal attendants who serve tea and cookies in the afternoon, they can arrange anything from a seven course meal to a stylish hairdo or a manicure or a pedicure or a massage to relieve the pain and the stress of labor or being born. Did you track with me? It's like they got a two two person audience for these people. And at just $4,000 a day, That seems fairly reasonable for one who would be the banner of salvation to all the world and whose kingdom would never end, doesn't it? Four grand's a lot of money, but for someone like that? But you know, God had a different plan in mind. His thoughts, his ways are not our thoughts or our ways. The Bible reveals God's plan for where and how his promised son would enter the world. Luke two describes it this way. I want you to listen carefully to it. And I hope some of you, you know, maybe you'll be with family this week with, you know, this would be a good passage for you to jot down because if you have children, you should read this with your kids. If you have grandchildren, read it with your grandkids. I mean, it's great, bring them to church, do that kind of thing, we should. It's good for them to hear it here. It's good for them to hear you read it to them, the people who are part of your life to know that this is an important passage to you. Luke 2 says this about God's plan for how his promised son was gonna be born. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria And everyone went to his own town to register, the Bible says. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I want you to pause just for a moment right there, because I just have this thought that came to me this week. Do you realize that the first time God was counted among men, he was literally counted among men. It was a census. And there was a head count, is what's going on. For the purposes of taxation, rendering unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But the interest of God was that we would render unto God what belongs to him. and He came to satisfy both censuses. Is that not amazing? The passage goes on and says, verse six: and while they were there, there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and he gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Remember that phrase, the banner of salvation for all the world. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I think that's the definition of a miraculous birth. I mean, it is the most miraculous birth in all of history. again with an angel proclamation of a virgin birth. It climaxes with God being laid not at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, but being laid in a stable, in a manger of all things. That in and of itself was a miracle. In reverse, really. with angelic announcement to shepherds of all people, not nobility. But it was even more miraculous than that because it was miraculous because of why he was born. The Bible tells us the purpose of his birth in numerous passages, but in Philippians 2, verses 6 and following, I love these verses, it says that though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. and The the idea of this language is it, it wasn't something that he was just gonna clutch and have a death grip on it. He wasn't just clutching and hanging on to this. Instead, verse seven says, he gave up, released his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus himself embellishes all of that with these words in Mark 10. He says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. In John 3, he adds these words. Jesus says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Notice the rest of the verse. But to save the world through him. To be a banner of salvation to all The world. On the cross, Jesus did the one thing he couldn't do for us from his throne in the heavens. On the cross, he suffered and he died. He became the sinless ransom payment for your sins and mine so that a holy and righteous God could accept us as his adopted children if we would humble ourselves and ask for his forgiveness. It's really the greatest miracle of all of Christmas. I like the words of Colossians 1, which says, God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And I just pause right there. I just want you to see what that verse is saying. We sometimes blow right past a verse like that. God in all his fullness Think of the implications of that. The the passage is saying that that the God who had power to part the Red Sea dwelt in Christ. The God who could speak to the dead live, and it be so. The God who could say, let there be light. All of the fullness of God dwelt in Christ was pleased to dwell in Christ. And verse 20 goes on and says, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes... This is where it's you and I get involved. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him. Notice the end of the verse. Without a single fault. Many of us carry around a, an immense burden of guilt because of the brokenness of our lives, choices we've made, things that have come our way that we didn't ask for, that are just the, the byproduct of a, of a corrupt and fallen world. God wants us to understand that Jesus came so that you could no longer be viewed as someone that God tolerates at best. So that you would understand that in fact you are someone that God cherishes. And he's chosen you. And because of Jesus' arrival and his death, God now looks at you, if your faith is in him, he looks at you as blameless. Without a single fault. It's because of Jesus, the banner of salvation for all the world. That first Christmas, God was setting the stage for the greatest miracle of all time, your forgiveness and redemption and mine. That's really what Christmas is all about. As you celebrate this week, I hope you'll reflect on that. As you dialogue with people who complain about what Christmas has become, maybe it's an opportunity, maybe God will give you an opportunity to talk about what it's really about. As you sit in front of a Christmas tree or a fire or as you have a quiet moment sometime in the next few days, reflect on the gift that God has given you through Jesus. What I want to ask you, have you thanked God for that gift lately? Have you called out to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation? Saying, Lord Jesus, I want to receive you, the gift from the Father to me. I receive you, make you my Lord, my Savior. You take advantage of this week as an opportunity to worship him for his love, his sacrifice for you. We're going to share in our communion time here in just a few moments, and it's a perfect opportunity for each of us to express our gratitude, our devotion to Jesus this morning. And our ushers will serve us bread in just a few moments. And the bread is a a symbol of Jesus' body. And if you think of the manger, I mean, that was that was when God the Father gave Him a body. Was that first Christmas? And Colossians is telling us, and Philippians is telling us, that as that body grew in due time, he made it obedient to the Father. He used it only in obedience. He was without sin, and he offered his body as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. And it was nailed to a cross so that you and I would not have have to suffer that kind of condemnation and judgment from a holy and righteous God. He took it, not us. And the juice that will be passed along with that bread is a a reminder, it's a symbol of Jesus' blood which was shed. The the price of our forgiveness, the, the life is in the blood, the Bible tells us. And When his blood was shed, his life ebbed out. And as you drink that juice, it's like, his was lost. And as you drink it, you're in a figurative kind of way receiving the life that comes only through Jesus, the banner of salvation for all, for you. As you take those emblems, just spend a few moments thanking God, worshiping him for who he is and what he's done. And, and as you pray and reflect, I hope you'll ponder Kind of our little manger scene over here today. I don't know if you can light it eventually here in a few moments, Tom. It just occurred to me to mention that. But um, if you just look at that manger scene over here, it's kind of hit me this week. It's sort of prophetic the way that it is. We didn't plan it this way, but it sort of is. You look above the manger, there's a cross. But beneath the manger is our baptistry. And the significance of that is really this the the manger and the cross were expressions of Jesus' humility and his love for you. And the baptistry, your baptism, is a biblical expression of your humility and devotion to him. Maybe some of us need to declare our humility and devotion before the Father this season by saying, I believe I wanna be baptized as the Bible teaches. I wanna honor him. He was fully immersed in our life and all that that entailed. I'll be fully immersed in him. It's the picture of baptism scripturally. As our usher service the Lord's Supper, spend a few moments reaffirming your faith, thanking God praising Him that he came to save you and not judge you. just listening to His Holy Spirit speak to you during this time. All right. Let's bow our heads, let's pray that our ushers will service us the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you care for us, that you left a throne in the heavens for a manger on earth and you didn't have to do it, no one was twisting your arm and making you do it, you did it out of love for everyone in this room within the sound of my voice. Thank you. As we take these emblems, the bread and the juice, and we remember your body and your blood, we just express to you our gratitude, our thankfulness. We're not worthy of all that you've done, but we are grateful. Thank you that you've chosen us. Meet us now in these moments as we remember and we reflect together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm glad that you've made it this morning, and I trust that uh, you'll uh, take what we've talked about this morning and allow it to just percolate in your mind and your soul this week. That's what I think God would want to have happen. Hope that it'll be something that's top of mind as you're in conversations, uh, just as the light of... God was coming into the world that first Christmas. You know, the light of God is spreading this Christmas. You know, through those of us who dialogue about these things. So, I hope you'll do that. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hope you'll join us tomorrow night as well. We have Christmas Eve. If you're here in town, hope you'll join us 4 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, so, I know that that's a little earlier than uh, we've done it a lot of years, but I think that uh, I think it'll be a blessing, and just trust that you'll join us. So. Uh, you need prayer for anything. Come on down, we'll pray afterwards, but merry Christmas to you all. Let's bow our heads and pray. OK. Heavenly Father, we're appreciative of the fact that you have taken notice of us. Uh, we may not have always paid attention to you throughout the history of the Earth, mankind, speaking, but you have noticed us. You have loved us, and you came for us. You came for us individually. We ask, Lord, that this year um, we just want to say to you, thank you, and we receive you into our hearts and lives. We want to be your children. We want the cleansing, the forgiveness, the future, the everlasting life that you came to make available to us. We don't deserve it, but we're so grateful that you've come. We ask, Lord, that your salvation would spread throughout the earth. Because I know that you came, not just for me, not just for us, but for everyone. So make yourself known and help us to make you known wherever we go this week and the rest of our lives. Would you go with us now, though, as we leave this place and as we reflect on these things, continue to open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word and your ways, and we'll rejoice to be your children and follow you. Go with us now. This is our prayer. We lift it together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody.